Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining podcasts. Do you like to listen? Well, hello there. This is Margot P. and Margot D. of Book Versus Movie. And if there's one thing we love, almost as much as we love books and movies, it's ghosties. Indeed. And we just love this podcast, History Goes Bump, Ghost Tours for the Theater of the Mind. We're so thrilled to be able to introduce you today. So tune in to History Goes Bump wherever you get your podcast. Get your little spook on and have fun with Denise and Diane and enjoy a little history. Bye, y'all. History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spooktacular people. Welcome to this 242nd episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. On this episode, we're going to be doing a location in eastern Tennessee known as Rotherwood Mansion. There's a lot of interesting history here. A lot of it's not very good, and that has led to some hauntings. But before we get into that, we want to welcome to the Spooktacular crew, Kelly. Hello, Kelly. Laura. Hi, Laura. Steve. Hey, Steve. Kayla. Hello, Kayla. Sandra. Hi, Sandra. Molly. Hello, Molly. Maricela. Hi, Maricela. Tammy with an I-E. Hey, Tammy with an I-E. Cindo. Hey, Cindo. Michelle with two L's. Hello, Michelle with two L's. Kristen with an E-N at the end. Hi, Kristen with an E-N. And Deborah. Hello, Deborah. And now, this moment in oddity. Scottish doctor James Graham, who practiced in the mid to late 1700s, should appear in the encyclopedia right next to the words quack doctor. He pushed some very bizarre treatments. He would tell childless couples who were having trouble getting pregnant that they should do their business on a mattress filled with stallion hair. Barren women were also told to wash their delicate parts with champagne. In 1781, Dr. Graham introduced to the world his celestial bed, which was a godly decorated vibrating bed that promised better conception. Another bizarre treatment he championed was something he called earth bathing. This practice required patients to strip naked and be buried up to their necks in fertile dirt. One advertisement of the time reads, Dr. Graham is now at Sheffield, and he and a young woman were on Wednesday and Thursday buried up to their lips in earth in order to prove the practicability and safety of the practice of earth bathing, which he recommends as a universal restorative to infirm and decayed nature. The spectators were numerous, as might be expected. According to Graham, earth bathing would open the pores so that toxins could be released. He claimed it cured scurvy, gout, venereal disease, leprosy, rheumatism, cancer, and even insanity. 
The appetite could be suppressed as well, and obese patients were told to earth bathe for as long as six hours. Dr. Graham seemed to have been a true believer as he charged Londoners a shilling to watch himself and a naked female companion earth bathing. People began to lose faith in the doctor's quackery as they began to realize that he himself was slipping into insanity due to an opium addiction. It wasn't clear to the people of the 1700s, but it's quite clear to us now that Dr. Graham's cures certainly were odd. Creepy makes history more delicious. And now this month in history. In the month of January, on the 21st in 1976, the Concorde supersonic jet began passenger service with flights from London to Bahrain and Paris to Rio de Janeiro. The Concorde was jointly developed and manufactured by Sud Aviation and the British Aircraft Corporation under an Anglo-French treaty. The program was estimated to cost a whopping £70 million, but due to delays and issues, eventually ran £1.3 billion. Twenty of the supersonic jets were made and eventually made flights to London, Paris, New York, Virginia, and Barbados. It took the Concorde half the time of other airplanes to make flights. Tickets to fly on the fast and luxurious Concorde were exorbitant, so only the wealthy could afford them. To fly from London to New York in 1997 cost $8,000. Not only could the Concorde fly at twice the speed of sound, it could fly at an altitude of up to 60,000 feet. The Concorde was retired in 2003. The name bestowed upon Rutherford Mansion really says it all. It is known as the House of Terror and Sadness. Today, it is a private residence where the inhabitants seem to live in peace, but the history here is anything but peaceful. The home was once one of the largest slave plantations in eastern Tennessee, where life for slaves was terrifying. Death came calling many times in all of its forms, accident, suicide, and murder. Left behind is a spiritual residue that attaches itself to strong emotions. Rutherwood Mansion has a reputation for being haunted. Join us as we explore the history and hauntings of Rutherwood Mansion. Kingsport, Tennessee is part of the Mountain Empire, which covers southwest Virginia and eastern Tennessee. Kingsport was originally known as Salt Lick and was established after the Revolutionary War at the confluence of the north and south forks of the Holston River. Denise, our executive producers, probably are like, wow, that sounds really familiar because we talked about this area and Long Island that is here in our recent bonus episode that featured the Curse of the Cherokee. This area, as we pointed out on that bonus episode, was very important to the Cherokee, and they were the first settlers here. The settlement became important for pioneers as part of the Wilderness Road. The city of Kingsport was chartered in 1821 and became a major port on the Holston River. The Civil War brought fighting here with the Battle of Kingsport, and after the Civil War, the city lost its charter. The charter returned in 1917, and Kingsport grew into a garden city and was one of the first cities to introduce traffic circles. Located here in Kingsport is Rotherwood Mansion. 
And a fun fact here is that Nick Castle, the actor who played Michael Myers in the original Halloween, was born in Kingsport and always makes an appearance at the local haunted houses. That is terrifying as well as traffic circles. So more than one terrifying thing came from this area. (laughs) Especially with Americans. (laughs) Half of them don't know what to do with the traffic circle. I remember one time I was visiting in the New Jersey, Philadelphia area. A friend of mine's friends were taking me up to see the Liberty Bell and they went through a traffic circle like how they would really do it. And I thought we were going to die. (laughs) They thought it was funny. High on a hill above the Holston River sits a beautiful red brick, dark shuttered mansion built by Reverend Frederick A. Ross in 1818. Reverend Ross was born in 1796 in Cumberland County, Virginia. He entered the Presbyterian ministry in 1818. He moved to Kingsport that same year and built his mansion. He became the pastor of Old Kingsport Presbyterian Church in Kingsport in 1826 and remained there until 1852. He moved to Huntsville, Alabama in 1855 and finished out his evangelical and physical life there, dying in 1883. Many may wonder how a reverend was able to build himself a large plantation in Kingsport. Russ came from a wealthy family and they owned a large acreage along the north and south forks of the Holston River. And even though he was a reverend, he owned many white indentured servants and black slaves. He even wrote a book in 1857 entitled, Slavery as Ordained of God. And while he writes in the preface, And let the Southern Christian nay, the Southern man of every grade, comprehend that God never intended the relation of master and slave to be perpetual. Let him give up the theory of Voltaire, that the Negro is of a different species. He also writes, Let him learn that slavery, like all evils, has its corresponding and greater good that the southern slave, though degraded compared with his master, is elevated and ennobled compared with his brethren in Africa. Biographies say that Ross was good to his slaves and they enjoyed working for the family. So I love that. Basically, he's saying there's nothing that has said that slavery should be a perpetual thing. So we should be moving towards not having slavery. And yet he says, well, even though it's a pretty evil thing, it's still better than their life in Africa. How the heck does he know that? Being a slave here in America is still better than living over in Africa. Well, and it's funny how we'll use excuses to kind of justify poor behavior or bad behavior. Rotherwood Mansion is breathtaking, and the first item one notices about the plantation home are the large Doric columns that line the front porch. There was a garden and pool on the roof. There were large French doors and beautiful gardens all around the home. The heating in the house came from hot water radiator heat, and it was throughout the mansion. The house has three floors, and it is our understanding that the current house is actually two houses that were joined together in the 1840s. There are several fireplaces, and every mantle is completely different with carved wood, and the dining room has the most elaborate mantle with latticework and scrolls. The name Rotherwood came from Sir Walter Scott's book, Ivanhoe. I think a property in that was named Rotherwood. There's a guest house on the property as well, and we're not exactly sure when that was built. Most of the research on this was incredibly difficult. There's a lot of ghost lore out there. And get the actual history, I had to watch a few videos on YouTube and piece things together because there's no set website for this location. And since it's a private residence, nobody's really written a whole lot about it. There's not 
tours through it. We'll be talking a little bit about a video of the current owner. And that's where I pieced a lot of this stuff together because I couldn't get pictures or anything to describe the inside. So I don't know how many rooms it originally had. And the owner, when she was talking about refurbing it, would mention a few things here and there. And that's kind of where I got the idea about the radiator heat and all of the mantle work and such. But otherwise, there just was not a lot out there, which was kind of disappointing because I'm sure there's a lot of great information about the inside of the house. Reverend Ross married a woman named Theodosia Vance, and they had 15 children together. It's a lot of kids. <laughs> yes, that is. And I always think, you know, these women back then used to have that many children and they didn't have the kind of stuff for childbirth that we have nowadays. So it's like, ooh, it would have been rough for sure. Five of them died in childhood. His first and only daughter to survive to adulthood, Rowena, was born in 1824 and she was his favorite child. He sent her to the finest northern schools. In 1842, she returned to Rotherwood, and she was the most eligible belle in the area, so suitors were knocking down the door. It wasn't just that she was the daughter of a rich and influential man. She was beautiful and had an outgoing and mischievous personality. She had a friend named Mag that she would write to about her suitors. About one, she wrote that he had an outrageous, impertinent request for her to secretly meet him at the upper gate and that her father was so perfectly outraged by it all that he threatened to horsewhip him. <laughs> I love it. You think you're going to take my daughter out to the upper gate and make out with her? I'll horsewhip you. That's one way to handle an unruly suitor, huh? I guess it's kind of like the father sitting at the door with a baseball bat or a gun when the boy comes to pick up the girl for the date, have her home by eight. Exactly. She finally settled on a young man that she referred to as doctor when writing Mag. She wrote, tell doctor that the field is clear, but he had two rivals who were determined to tilt the lance with him at the same Christmas tournament, which he doubtless remembers. And if he is not forthcoming on the occasion, it will be truly distressing. He asked for her hand in marriage, and Reverend Ross was thrilled. He decided to build them a home on the property, and it was the same design as Rotherwood, only instead of red brick, it was entirely done in white. It was across the river from the main house. His daughter would never get to enjoy the home as it burned completely to the ground soon after it was finished. It was only the start of tragic circumstances for Rowena. Oh, that would be so disappointing to watch this beautiful home being built and dreaming about how you're going to decorate it and build a home in it, and then whoosh, it's gone. It gets worse. On the morning of their wedding day, Rowena's groom decided to go fishing with his friends, and so they took a small boat out onto the Holston River. Rowena was watching them from the porch of her childhood home. The Holston can have dangerous currents, and on this particular day, a current capsized the boat and pulled the young men under the icy depths of the river. Three of them managed to break free and pull themselves to the shore, but one of those young men was not Rowena's fiancé. His body was never found. Rowena was devastated and became a recluse, locking herself away in her third-floor bedroom. Rowena finally stepped out again after two years and met another man named Edward Temple, to whom she became engaged and then married. They moved to Chattanooga, Tennessee. He was a wealthy man and she was happy again until yellow fever struck and took his life. She once again slipped into depression. It took her 10 years to recover and she remarried. The couple had a daughter and things seemed to be going well, but one night Rowena slipped into her wedding gown and made her way outside, slipping silently beneath the water of the river. Some say that she heard the call of her first love and was going to meet him. 
This was tragic for the reverend, but more bad circumstances would follow. A mill that he operated went bust, and other businesses suffered losses, and many of his investments failed. Just before the Civil War, he had to sell his beloved Rotherwood. The man to whom he would sell it would add the terror part to the house's nickname, House of Terror and Sadness. Joshua Phipps acquired not only Rotherwood Plantation, but the Reverend's slaves as well. Phipps had been the overseer at the plantation, and he was known for being a cruel man. For this reason, Ross freed many of the slaves, and a fun fact about one of those slaves is that they were an ancestor of Diana Ross, and that is where the last name that she has comes from, as many slaves would take on the surname of their owners. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, I I was like, wow, what a neat little fun fact there. (laughs) So that's where Ross, that's how she got her last name. Phipps had abused the slaves when Ross was on the property, but once he was owner, the abuse intensified. Slave cells were installed in the basement of Rotherwood. They were windowless, with dirt floors save for one window that had iron bars set into it with no glass. The field slaves slept here at night. A woman who grew up here when her parents worked on the property as a cook and chauffeur, Jill Ellis, wrote of the basement, As a child, I had to go into the area almost every day because the food Mother Canned was stored in the basement, and the laundry facility was also in this area. The stench was embedded in the ground. The darkness and dampness was sometimes overpowering. One could imagine hearing the moaning, the wailing, the crying of slaves, their misery and despair. If a slave was maimed, he was shot like an animal because he was of no more use. In the front room of the third floor facing the river was the whipping post. Slaves were shackled to the posts to be whipped. The blood stains are still embedded into the wood floors of that room. Days of heavy moisture, the blood stains appear. That's just horrific. And Jill Ellis has a few videos that are up on YouTube as well, where she talks about her time living there with her parents, who, of course, were there not as slaves much later in life. They just worked there as employees. Phipps was cruel to more than just the slaves. His own daughter Priscilla fell in love with a young man during the Civil War, and her father did not approve. He arranged to have that man killed in action. It is said that his daughter died from grief at the age of 20. Phipps had a mistress who joined him in his cruel treatment, and some say she was more evil than he was, even though she herself was a former slave. Edward Stewart wrote about a slave named Aunt Vic, who was owned by Phipps, in an article published in the Kingsport Times News in October of 1975. He wrote, Aunt Vic was a slave at Rotherwood before the Civil War, And she talked about hiding in the reeds and culverts when the slave traders would come through so she wouldn't be sold. Aunt Vic describes Richard Netherland as a workmaster for Joshua Phipps, who made the slaves work harder. She said that both Netherland and Phipps were cruel and beat the slaves all the time. Aunt Vic also claims that Phipps would say he wanted to be buried standing up on the hill at Rotherwood so he could supervise the slaves working. This guy was just a jerk beyond jerk. And that death would come in 1861. Phipps fell ill and no doctor could figure out what was wrong with him. Out of fear, he was moved to the carriage house so that he wouldn't sicken anyone else. He presented with fever and delusions and a young slave boy was assigned the job of fanning him to keep him cool. Phipps' breathing became more labored as the days went by and when death finally took hold, it came in a very strange way, causing some to think that he was cursed. The slave boy claimed that Phipps came out of the fog of his fever and his eyes fixated on a spot behind the boy. 
The boy turned and let out a blood-curdling scream of horror. The child described seeing a thick cloud of hundreds of buzzing flies. The thick cloud of wriggling flies descended upon Phipps, covering his entire face, and they pushed their way into the openings there, his nostrils, ears, and open mouth. Phipps began to suffocate and convulse, and the boy bolted off to the main house to get help. Sounds like a fitting way for this joke to die. No kidding. I'm all for it. The boy returned with a doctor and family members, and they found Phipps dead with his eyes staring up and a look of terror frozen upon his face. Everyone was confused because the boy had told them about the swarm of flies, and there was not one fly in the carriage house. It was as though they had never existed. The funeral that followed is a part of Kingsport legend. His coffin was put on a cart that was pulled by two horses. As the horses made their way up a hill, the wheels of the cart got stuck, and two more horses were brought to try to pull the cart out. The four horses managed to get the cart moving forward, just as lightning started to flash across the darkening skies and thunder clapped. One bolt of lightning hit a tree near the path to the cemetery and knocked that tree into the path, blocking the way. The pallbearers had to carry the casket the rest of the way to the open grave. People started murmuring that the circumstances were due to how evil Phipps had been. The pastor began to conduct the graveside ceremony when the nearby river began to bubble and churn. The thunder and lightning grew more violent. And then the casket, under its dark cloth, began to move. Inexplicably, a large black dog hurled itself out of the casket and ran down the hill. The terrified group of onlookers quickly closed the casket, lowered it into the ground, and buried it over. They then ran home. I mean, I'm sure they were going, what in the hell? (laughs) A dog just comes flying out of the casket. Did they check to see if the body was still there? I'm assuming it was, but I have heard a later story that somebody went back and dug up the body to see if it was there, and they found the coffin empty, and yet no dirt had been disturbed, so they weren't sure where his body had gone to. But of course, I think that's probably just lore. Or he became a cryptid. Yeah, maybe he changed into a dog. A Unica company acquired the property and several men, including Jeffrey Johnson and John B. Dennis, farmed the land. Rutherwood Farms covered 2,000 acres of the original 6,000. They had Jersey cows, riding horses, and prize bulls. Rutherwood Farms was bought by the U.S. government in 1940, and a Colonel Ryan moved into the mansion with his family. The government occupied the farm until the end of World War II. And then Rutherwood sat empty for many years, and it began to fall into disrepair. A man bought the property and fixed it up on the outside, and then he sold to a couple named the Stones. Today, Rutherwood Mansion is owned by Lenita Tebolt, whom we think bought the property in the 1980s. She was a doctor, and Kingsport was desperate to have her, and after she visited the town and saw Rutherwood Mansion from a distance, she was sold as long as the money could be worked out. There is a video that we have posted a link to featuring her talking about the restoration, and she clearly loves this home. She doesn't seem to believe in all the ghost stories told about Rotherwood, so we are thinking that she has not had any experiences. And this part here about the ownership after Phipps is, again, stuff that I kind of pieced together from listening to interviews of different people because there was no set lineage of ownership anywhere that I could find. So... I don't know that this is actually exactly as it happened. If we got some of that wrong, it's we did our best that we could based on the information that I could kind of piece together. 
There are many stories of hauntings on the property of the former Rotherwood Plantation. Rowena's apparition is a common occurrence. She is seen walking towards the banks of the Holston River wearing her wedding dress, making her Our Lady in White at this location. Sightings of Rowena's ghost started when her family still lived on the site. Her first love is also said to haunt the banks of the river due to his tragic death and the fact that his body was never recovered. Now, the interesting piece of this story is, as I was watching the video with the current owner, who downplays every ghost story and all talk of ghosts, so she doesn't think anything is going on there, which I find hard to believe with as poorly as the slaves were treated and as much tragedy as this place saw. She does make a great point because she says Rowena lived in Huntsville, Alabama, when she committed suicide. Since that's the case, we either have to think that her spirit decided to come back home to Rotherwood to haunt there, or this is just a piece of ghost lore. And if there is a lady in white there, maybe it's not Rowena. Maybe it's one of the slaves. Maybe it was the mistress, somebody else, who knows. But this may not necessarily be Rowena unless she came back here. Because, I mean, if that was her first love and where he died, maybe her spirit would come there. But I just wanted people to know she didn't actually commit suicide on this property. Phipps' daughter, who died from grief, is said to be in an apparition seen sitting in front of one of the windows of the mansion. The black dog that sprung from the casket of Phipps is referred to as the Hound of Hell. People claim that this large black dog roams the area around the Rotherwood Mansion. It gives off a low and mournful howl, particularly on stormy nights. Joshua Phipps himself is said to be an apparition at the mansion. He enjoys removing the covers from people when they are sleeping and gives off a disembodied sadistic laugh. His evil mistress is here as well, and the reason for that is because after Phipps died, the slaves rose up and killed her. They buried her in an unmarked grave somewhere on the grounds of Rotherwood Mansion. Objects are said to move throughout the house and people claim to have been poked or pushed. During one of the renovations, some workmen were working on replacing the plumbing and the wiring down in the basement. And remember, this is where the slaves' cells were down there. One of the workmen looked up from his work and froze, with his eyes fluttering open wide and he went white. He began to scream and ran upstairs as his co-worker looked on in confusion. The co-worker followed him upstairs and outside where he watched him jump into the work van and peel out as he drove away from the mansion. And of course, he left all of his tools and his co-worker there. The man returned the next day as he had left his tools behind, and he was calm enough to tell the owner and his co-worker what had happened. He explained that he had felt as though someone were staring at him, and when he looked up, he saw an apparition materialize right out of the wall. The spirit was male and wearing a suit and had a gigantic black dog with him that had glowing red eyes. The beast was snarling and the man gave the workman a sadistic smile and pointed at him. The dog leapt at him and that is when he ran out of the house. He claimed that the dog followed him upstairs and even followed the van down the road for a bit. And of course, the other workman had seen nothing. The guy who had seen all this stuff never set foot in the house again. So I don't know if he asked his co-worker, could you go get my tools? I'm not going in there. But I don't blame him for taking off and running. If you saw something like that, and what is really interesting about this black dog is for people who follow the lore about black dogs, this is what you hear characteristically about them is that they have these glowing red eyes, that there's these large, vicious beasts. And when you hear the story of Phipps having this dog, 
come climbing out of his casket and running down the hill, I'm sure most of us go, "Uh uh-huh, sure. Somebody made that up and it's a bunch of baloney. But then when you have this guy telling the story who more than likely doesn't know anything about the lore, it does make you wonder, was there some truth to this black dog? And was it an actual literal black dog or was it some kind of spirit animal? And was it part of this whole Lord only knows what caused this Phipps guy to die? Where did those flies come from? And as we know, when you have slaves on a property back at that time, a lot of them practiced hoodoo and voodoo because that was part of their native religion that they'd come from. Did they put some kind of a curse on him? And was the dog maybe part of this curse? Who knows? And I don't know why it would still be hanging out with them as a ghost. Yeah, I know definitely if I practiced any kind of religion that had a way to curse people and I had somebody like Phipps and his mistress or in the evilness they had, I would want to put a curse on either one of them. I don't blame them. And I would think back in that time, if you knew a thing or two about that, you may not want to mess with those people too terribly much because if they do know that stuff, they could do something bad to you possibly. Now, there's another haunted location that isn't right on the property, but it's just a few miles up Big Elm Road from Rotherwood Mansion, and these are called the Senspa Tunnels. These tunnels are said to be incredibly haunted. What happens is these were originally some natural tunnels. A lot of the Native Americans had used them at one time. Well, these tunnels were widened in the 1920s, I think to make room for a railroad. It was called the Clinchfield Railroad. And while they were doing this work, 16 men were killed in that tunnel. Previously to all of this, this natural tunnel is said to have been used by runaway slaves who were waiting for a ferryman coming down the Holston River. So they would climb in here and wait to see a lantern that would be flashed by the ferryman, and they would know the coast is clear to get aboard the ferry and make their run for freedom. Well, a slave owner once found two of his slaves and their three children hiding in that tunnel. He killed the woman, who also happened to be his mistress, her husband, and two of the children by shooting them. The baby he crushed against the inside of the tunnel. It's said that the baby's mournful cry is heard coming from that tunnel. There's rumors of satanic rituals taking place in the tunnel as well. They've been a popular part of the legend here. and A lot of people claim that their car engines die whenever they get near the tunnel. Well, there are only claims of three ghosts, Rowena, Phipps, and his mistress, and the black dog, one has to wonder if some of the spirits of the slaves who were treated so badly remain here in the afterlife. Could there be some trapped negative emotional energy? And while the current owner and friends who visited the property claim there is nothing haunting the property, has that always been the case? Could the spirits be at rest because the home is loved and taken care of now? Or do people in the modern era just ignore the supernatural activity? Is Rotherwood Mansion haunted? That is for you to decide. Well, it's a pretty property, and I know it has been opened a couple times. Obviously, this video that she made, there were people there for a talk, and I know they had some kind of a garden show there because there's some beautiful gardens around the outside of the home, and so they did a little tour of the gardens there and such that was part of a magazine article. So I know occasionally people have been able to check out the inside of it. I would love to see more of it. They just stay in the one room when she's giving her talk. And I'd seen somewhere else that they have a huge mural that's painted in the front hallway, I think that's going up the staircase. And supposedly this mural documents the history of Rotherwood Mansion. 
I tried to see if I could find an image of that anywhere. Couldn't find an image of it anywhere either. I'm like, oh, there's so much great stuff about this house and nobody's sharing it. So the woman who owns it now and has been in it for, I don't know, three decades now at this point, really has put a lot of work into it. And from what I could see, it looks like she's done a marvelous job. And she describes in the video all of the renovations that they did. And literally when she moved in, it didn't really have a roof on it. Mushrooms were growing inside the house. I mean, it was in a really sad state. So she pretty much started from the ground up. And she's made some modernizations to it, of course. She said, especially with the bathrooms. But most of it, she tried to keep it as much as it to the original as she could. We encourage you guys to check out our website at historyghostbump.com. And Denise, if people want to send us some feedback, where can they do that? They can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. Lynn did share with us in the Spooktacular crew, listening to the Yosemite episode. It's sort of off topic, but since it was mentioned during the history, a little note about Bloomers and Amelia Bloomer. She and her husband are buried in Council Bluffs, Iowa, in Fairview Cemetery behind my grandmother's house. We walk through there all the time as kids because it's a beautiful old cemetery. Also, many things in town were named after them, including streets and an elementary school. When it's not negative two as the high, I will walk up there and find the plot again to add a picture. Well, thank you for that little tidbit. That's kind of fun to know that bloomers have a bit of a history themselves. I had no idea that bloomers were named after a woman. Neither did I. And the reason why they were named for Amelia Bloomer is she was a women's rights activist and she was the best known advocate for bloomers. So she really pushed them. And I guess the initial designs of the bloomers weren't specifically like pants. They were more of a dress that had an unrestricted movement to it and were less dangerous because, as we know, having some of those big hoop skirts and such caught fire a lot. So having a dress closer to your body was a lot safer. And then you also, of course, didn't have to wear a girdle with these kinds of dresses either. Thank goodness that girdles have kind of worked their way out. And apparently it was in the summer of 1851 that America was really seized by this bloomer craze. And there was no looking back from there, ladies. (laughs) Sharon commented on the website, Greetings from the Pacific Northwest. Found your show about a month ago and I love it. Couple of places to check out in the Washington state. Port Gamble, Washington is an old sawmill company-owned town, which was founded in 1853. Once a booming little town, it's down to just a few remaining original buildings. The most impressive is the Victorian-style Walker Ames House. Supposedly, it has two spirits, one friendly and one not. And the town itself has quite a few ghosts. Every year, they have a paranormal event in October, which you can check out at portgambleparanormal.com. And then Michelle posted on the website, Hello from Bath, England. Love to hear people are listening from around the world. I love this podcast and the website, and a place I think you should look up is Pendle Hill. And you want to know why, Denise? Why is that? Do you remember back when we did the Twilight Hour many years ago, we talked about the Pendle Witches? Oh, yeah. That's where they come from. Oh, very cool. Pendle Hill. So I told her we will put that on the list and that we were familiar with them, and maybe we'll get a chance to talk about them at some point in the future. 
We have a review from iTunes, the Beave 27. I love this podcast, five stars. I love listening to this podcast and can't wait for the new episode to come out. Well, thank you so much for that. We've been getting a ton of reviews over on iTunes. A lot of people leaving us five star reviews. You don't have to leave a comment. Doesn't matter to us one way or the other. We just love getting all of those stars. We want to thank you guys for tuning into this episode. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. Thanks. Fan of the show? Subscribe to the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast catcher. We would greatly appreciate your review at iTunes as well to help the show grow. Thank you.